Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Colossians this morning. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 through 29. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in those songs. I, uh, even as, we sung, as I sung those songs, I, I couldn't help but notice the, the theme of the almighty, the, the power of God, the the steadfastness of the Lord, not only his almighty in, in, in all that he is, his power in all of life and in circumstances and situations of our lives. He's uh, almighty in our salvation primarily, uh, being our firm foundation, and then culminating, of course, in the name of, of Jesus Christ, uh, the name that is uh, uh, the, uh, the name which uh, is uh, not only power, but it, it saves us. It, 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 it is that which we cling to for our salvation, for our sanctification, for a life, um, the name of Christ. It's kind of like a, I just, and I was thinking, I couldn't help but think about just even, you know how when, you know, you get, need to get into that club. Okay, you don't know how, but okay, just, uh, I'll tell you how. You know, when you need to get in that real club that's really popular, you know, you got to drop a name. You got to drop the name. So you'll say like, I, I know so-and-so. Uh, I just think about when I get to heaven, no, it's not a club, okay, but it is a great, better than any club you've ever been to. Uh, <clears throat> when you get there, uh, you'd say that you know Jesus Christ. And that name is so powerful. It gets you into heaven. That's what I was thinking. I thought, wow, that's cool. I'm going to share that with you because that's a bonus truth this morning. Uh, so if you don't go clubbing or you've never been clubbing, you wouldn't know what I'm talking about. But that's all right. <clears throat> Just hold on to the name of Jesus Christ. All right. Uh, isn't that nice? Like you these little brief devotionals like that. Uh, <clears throat> well, if you're, you should already be there. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 28 through 29. We're continuing our series through uh, what I call the Church 101 series. And even next week, our, our pastor, Alton, will also be completing the series uh, for us uh, tomorrow, uh, next Sunday. But as we look at Colossians, this book that um, I preached before in, I think, wow, 2007. So it's a long time, four, seven years ago. <clears throat> it's a, a book that speaks to the preeminence of Christ. I like to read for us. Uh, I will focus on verse 28 and 29 today, but I want to focus and start our reading from verse 13. Just give us a context and, uh, because it tells us about uh, Christ and the one whose name is so powerful, the one who, whose name that we cling to. Speaking of Christ, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, I'll read through, 28, or through 29. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness, And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. And through him to reconcile all things to himself. Having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, 
Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is, the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ, For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this picture of Jesus Christ, which we have read this morning. We thank you, Father, that he is your perfect image. Even as we think about how we were created in the image of you, Lord, Jesus is the image of you. We are like you. But he is perfectly like you. He is perfectly in equal in every way, in essence, in nature. You. For he is your son. He is the firstborn of all creation, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, the reconciler of all things, so that he might have first place in all things. Father, we gather this morning even to desire to worship you because we, are, we as those who have named the name of Jesus Christ, desire to place you first in our lives, that we want to hear from you, we want to hear about Christ. We desire to know him more so that we might be more like him, that we might go out into our world equipped and make a difference in this world for Christ's name's sake. Lord, we pray that your spirit would teach us now, guide us, and even as we examine Paul's ministry, help us to Understand its application for our ministry, the ministry and the mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray these things for your glory, for the building up of your church, for the furtherance of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Many of you have probably followed the news recently uh, about the flu, right? And you know that the flu is, uh, even though I think I read this week, is at an epidemic epidemic level. Uh, that is, it's, it's, more, it's more prevalent this year than, than in previous years and than regular average years. And so uh, across our nation, uh, there's kind of, there was a little hope. I think I read in some, one news article that it seems to be declining uh, the, in, uh, in some of the, the, some states around the nation. But still, you hear when I read about little children, young children, and, and babies, infants dying from the flu, it, it, just, it, is, uh, it is such a, a, um, a grievous and sad thing to, to hear about. But things about things like flu, and if you just think about the flu, and you kind of think about, wow, what if it spreads, and um, what if it keeps keeps getting worse or worse? You can just imagine, if you will, just imagine with me uh, that suppose the flu or some kind of virus 
uh, grew worse, and it spread, and it became not just an epidemic, but, you know, uh, just, uh, just like a plague, you know. And, and so the government, for the sake of public and safety health, just passed some law ordinance that, that people could not gather together in groups of more than three people so that, you know, they wouldn't pass, people wouldn't be passing on germs. Now, and we know this is probably not likely, but the hope you just get the idea for, and kind of think about with me the idea, what happens if we couldn't gather in groups of three or more anymore, or more than three? You know, I'll let you have three, because, uh, I, you know, at least outside your home. What would happen to church? You, know, you think, what would happen to work? You say, oh, no work, great, uh, except for those of you that work at home. But you say, no, no church. We'd come together every Sunday. We, we wouldn't be allowed to get, gather together. We'd kind of line up. Okay, you guys get uh, 810 worship service. Then you get the 8, 815 service. And the 820 service, you three get the 830 service. Would we do that? Uh, I don't think so. But the, here's a question that I, I want us to ask. You know, just thinking about that. So no, there would be no worship. There would be no fellowship groups, no Sunday schools, no midweek ministries. They would all come to halt. Would the church still be able to fulfill its purpose if we didn't gather in groups of three or more? I think it would depend, of course, on how you answer what is the purpose of the church, right? And thankfully, we all know the purpose of the church. Uh, and the purpose of the church is? Disciple making. Okay, good. You say it with so much confidence. Actually, you say it like you know it. You sound like Sunday school class. You just, oh, God, Jesus Christ in the Bible. You know, that's, uh, but disciple making is the purpose of the church. We understood that. We'll take, we took a look at this the last two weeks, right? The question, the real question I want us to think about is this. Is disciple-making dependent upon worship services, fellowship groups, Sunday schools, or other large group ministries? Uh, More particularly, specifically, can disciple-making take part, take place apart from the existence of large group programs within the church? A lot of times we think of disciple-making as like uh, maybe when we, we think of church, we think of what the church does. We think about the big events that we do. We gather for worship. Well, and after the worship, we're going to go to Sunday school class. After Sunday school class, in the middle of the week, we might have our, our small groups. Then we might have Friday fellowship groups. We think of church in terms of generally smaller or large group ministries, group programs, group ministries. But our purpose as a church is disciple-making. And I challenge this, and I want to think about this this morning, is can disciple-making take place apart from that? If we had none of these programs, none of these large event programs, and I understand the necessity of corporate worship, but if we didn't have anything, would the purpose of the church come to a halt? Would we stop being able to do what God called us to do? Well, the question, in answer to this question, can disciple making take place apart from the existence of large group, large group programs in the church? And my answer is yes, it can and it does when we understand rightly the essential substance of disciple making. We understand the purpose, the mission as disciple-making. But we want to talk this morning as we continue our Church 101 series uh, on the subject of what is, or what is, or not just what is the church's purpose, mission, but how does the church fulfill her purpose? How do we fulfill the purpose that Christ has given to her church? Whereas we are about to go, we go about disciple-making, uh, the substance or the heart of disciple-making, what it looks like in general, is not 
necessarily the programs, the larger group programs that we do, not because we worship, we get together for fellowship, we get together for midweek, uh, we go to Sunday school class. But it's this, by speaking the word of God in the power of God. This is essentially what disciple making looks like. It is what it is the main, uh, the, the, main, the main action within disciple making. And today's passage essentially teaches us this principle, how we ought to, as the people of God, to speak the word of God in the power of God. Uh, let's take a look at Colossians briefly. Before we look at this passage, uh, it was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Colossae. It's a church that, he, by the way, he had never uh, visited. He, had never, uh, he did not plant the church there. Seems like it was planted by a guy named Epaphras. It was written during Paul's first Roman imprisonment. Uh, that's why that's, it's called a prison, one of the prison epistles. The purpose of the book is Paul defends against uh, false teachers of the supremacy of Christ. That he advocates they were saying that Christ is not enough. Christ is insufficient. Paul says Christ is sufficient. Christ is, <laughs> being who he is, is, has a name that is mightier than all. And, willing, and we ought to hold on to and not to give up. The key passage that we read even in our scripture reading in this book is Colossians 1, 15 to 20. It's a passage that describes who Christ is. It's the most, it is believed by some to be the most Christ-exalting passage in all of the New Testament, a hymn of Christ. As we come to verse, chapter 1, verse 28 and 29, just a little bit of between verse 24, 120, chapter 1, verse 24 through 2, chapter 2 through 5, is Paul's description of his ministry. Remember how we were in our read in the scripture that he had been entrusted with this ministry of the gospel. And he talks about how he was an appointed apostle of it. But as he describes his ministry of the gospel, the heart of his description, the very center of it, is this passage that we're looking at this morning, chapter, uh, verse 28 through 29. This is what he does as a minister of the, word, of, the, of the gospel, as he preaches the word of God. This is what he does. This is his description of his ministry. We had mentioned in previous weeks uh, that, in after, that after Matthew 28, verse 19, the Great Commission, and Acts 14, 21, the word or the phrase making disciples, though it's the purpose of the church, is not found in the rest of the New Testament. And that's kind of significant, especially for some who say, well, no, the, who may want to say that the church's purpose is not to make disciples. So, well, you, you don't even find it in the New Testament, in the rest of the New Testament. But it doesn't mean that Paul did, had a different mission or that the church and the church they planted had a different mission from the Great Commission. Paul's mission was, wasn't merely to evangelize the laws, wasn't just simply to be a missionary or to plant churches. Paul's ministry, though as an apostle of Christ and sent to the Gentiles particularly, his ministry is essentially the same as your ministry and mine. His ministry was the same as the Colossians' ministry. His ministry is, just like ours, a continuation of the Great Commission that Jesus Christ gave to his disciples to make disciples of Jesus Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 through 29, Paul affirms not only his mission, but the Colossians' ministry as well in our mission today. As Paul states his mission or his purpose, he reveals how he fulfills it by speaking the word of God in the power of God. So that's what we're gonna, that's what will be our theme. I mentioned a couple times, speaking the word of God in the power of God. That's how we go about making disciples. And we'll, hopefully we'll be able to flesh this out today. We'll kind of think about how it practically applies to us as a church. 
so that, you know, when your favorite pro- large group program comes to a halt and ceases, you won't despair. But you say, hey, we can still make disciples of Jesus Christ. It's okay if we shut, shut her down that fellowship group or that Sunday school class, or even if you, uh, if for some reason or other, we were not allowed to gather together as a church. Uh, we'll see you all on the internet, of course. We have Google Hangouts for that. But let's take a look at this passage. We're going to have an outline for us, four observations from Paul's ministry that guide us the Bible in carrying out the mission of disciple-making. So that's kind of, kind of our general outline we're going to try to apply today. All right, number one, then, we look at these four things about Paul's ministry, four observations, and we observe and we notice that the message of disciple-making for, for the apostle Paul. He begins in verse 28 with this, this phrase, Verse 28, we proclaim him. See, Paul's ministry is a ministry of proclamation. It's a ministry of, of announcing news, announcing good, the good news, particularly of Jesus Christ. In secular Greek usage, the word proclaim will refer to the announcement of, of official reports, to give an official report. So it's like, sort of like a, it's a, announcing the news, how newscasters might do. They proclaim the news for the day. It is delivering a message, delivering what is fa- true, what is factually true. In Acts chapter 13, verse 5, Luke uses the word to describe Paul's ministry, where he wrote, when they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. Making disciples involves proclaiming the word of God. I think we would understand that. We, we know that that is part of disciple-making. Paul continually proclaimed the word of God. But the heart, at the heart of his proclamation, what is central to the word of God, this phrase, the word of God, is a person. This person is Jesus Christ. In fact, how Paul writes it in, in the original Greek, he emphasizes it. In fact, you many of you have the ESV version. You'll notice that it says, him we proclaim. Because in the original Greek, the hymn is in the beginning. And that emphasizes that this is who, what Paul proclaims. He proclaims him, that is Christ. It's just what we saw in verse 27. The, in Christ in you, the hope of glory, which is so profound coming to be written to the Colossians because the Colossians were Gentiles, right? To have Christ, the Messiah, the, the Jewish Messiah in Gentiles. That is profoundly, this blows your mind. It should, it should bring to end all kind of racism in the church, that's for sure. But that's just a side. The fact is, Christ in you is the hope of glory for these Gentile believers. It's a, it's a beautiful message. It's the mess, but, and Paul proclaimed Christ. And particularly, if you think back even further, back to verse 15 to 20, this, that is the Christ whom Paul proclaims that this Christ is the image of God, the firstborn of all creation, the creator of all things, the eternal one, the sustainer of all things, the head of the church, the firstborn from the dead, the fullness of deity, and the reconciler of all things to himself. See, Paul's message in disciple-making is that of the person and work of Jesus Christ, and no less. It is centered upon Jesus Christ. When we talk about the word of God, we talk about speaking the word of God, we're really talking about speaking about Christ. Jesus Christ, even on the road to Emmaus, when he showed his disciples, the two disciples, what the the law taught, he showed them how the law pointed, even the Old Testament at that time, pointed to himself, Christ. The Old Testament and the New Testament all point to Christ together. And that is our message as well. 
We, meet, we as believers in Jesus Christ, as disciple makers, we need to proclaim Christ. We proclaim Christ out of the Old Testament. We proclaim Christ in the, uh, the New Testament. It's important to note, though, that ex- proclaiming Christ is more than just explaining the basics of the gospel of salvation, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, rose from the grave, and that if you believe in him, uh, you will not perish but have everlasting life. That's the, that's the gospel. That's the, the basics. But preaching Christ involves so much more. It involves telling others about the supremacy of Christ, which this whole book of Colossians is about. And the supremacy of Christ, the lordship of Christ, the almightiness of Christ, the name of Christ, demands more than just a profession of faith, but worship, submission, dependence, reverence, and hope in Christ. Last week, we learned from Acts chapter 14, verse, 19, verse 21 to 23, that making disciples involves both evangelism and edification. See, both are important, right, in disciple-making. Both are necessary in disciple-making. But in both evangelism and edification, we proclaim Christ. We need to proclaim Christ in both evangelism as well as edification. How do we evangelize? We proclaim Christ's death and resurrection. It's like, uh, and, and we oftentimes, uh, it's like telling the, the good news about Christ. You know, we, many of us are going to watch a, maybe a football game today. Well, at least I will be, Lord willing, telling the, you know, the highlights of it. And if it's good news, guess what I'm going to talk about next week? Or you have to talk to me on Monday, I'll talk to you about the game. Because why? Because it's so exciting, right? Uh, some of you will go out to dinner tonight. Hopefully, it'll be a fabulous restaurant. And you can say, oh, this is so good. And you see me the next day, you say, oh, Pastor Henry, you need to go to this restaurant. It's going to be great. And then some of us are going to be uh, just, uh, I don't know, uh, something else. You, know, you, you heard on the news something very helpful. And, I, uh, uh, and so, oh, wow, there's a, uh, there's, a, there's a cure for the flu. Oh, man, the shots are available. And so, you think, well, that's good news. I better tell somebody about that. There's a cure for the flu. By the way, get your flu shots, everybody. You should get your flu shots. Important. Anyways, we tell people stuff all the time that we think are helpful for them, whether news, whether exciting to us, like football, uh, whether it's just something that's just delightful, like food. The news of Christ is, isn't it greater than all those things? Greater than the best restaurant, the best football game, uh, the best, uh, the most helpful news that you could hear. Christ is that way. And so when we proclaim, we ought to uh, not be ashamed. And hopefully this is encouragement for us and encourage us to, to proclaim Christ in evangelism. But how do we edify? When we edify, we also need to proclaim Christ. Now, we not, may not be proclaiming uh, the, the, the gospel, though sometimes we need to do that, proclaiming Christ, uh, preaching Christ to someone who the gospel is to, to remind us of our forgiveness of sins and, and our eternal eternal security, but for instance, for the Christian, but we might also preach other things about Christ. For the Christian wavering in their faith, we might proclaim how Christ, Christ's death and resurrection, right? For the, but for the Christian questioning, perhaps uh, maybe the circumstances of their life, they're going through a trial, they don't know why it's happening, they don't understand how can this be, things seem to be falling apart. Well, we might take Paul's encouragement of Colossians 1 and proclaim that Christ is the sustainer of all things, Right? So, you know, Christ here says it's a sustainer. He holds all things together. And God will not let your life fall apart. 
even as if it looks like it, he will hold you together. He will, is holding it all together, the sustainer of all things. For the Christian who is maybe oh, not following Christ, is living for life for themselves in rebellion against Christ, then we might proclaim Christ as the, the head of the church, right? We say, well, aren't you, don't you, aren't you a Christian? And we might say, well, don't you belong to Christ's church? Yes, I do. Well, do you know that Christ is the head of the church? What does that mean for you? Well, we might and then encourage them, say, well, if he's the head, if he's your leader, then isn't he the rightful one to have first place in your life instead of you having first place? We need to proclaim Christ in both evangelism and edification. Christ was Paul's message in disciple-making. Christ is our message as well. All right, let's move on. So the message that we preach in disciple-making is Christ. Just as Paul proclaimed Christ, we proclaim Christ. The manner of disciple-making is the second observation we make. The next phrase of the passage, verse 28, we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom. Paul here describes what is involved in his proclamation of Christ. Notice that Paul's ministry here even is not limited to Gentiles or Jews, nor unbelievers or believers. The very mention of the phrase, every man, tells us that Paul's ministry was to all nations, just as Christ commanded the disciples in the Great Commission. Of course, it did not mean that Paul's ministry was to go to every nation. He didn't go to every nation. But rather, he would make disciples of any person, no matter what nation they hailed from, as he went about the world. See, the proclamation of Christ, according to Paul here, involves two actions, two activities. First of all, it involves admonishing. Paul admonished every man, he says. This verb uh, is a verb that's familiar. For those of you that had any kind of background in biblical counseling, you know that this is the word nuthetic, nutheteo. Uh, it uh, sometimes was was commonly what we, what we called a biblical counseling, neothetic counseling. Uh, I think that phrase has kind of died out. But it comes to this word, admonishing. Uh, it, it meant, the word meant to impart understanding, to set right, to, to lay on someone's heart. It, it stresses influencing a person's, uh, not just a person's intellect, knowledge, but their will and the disposition, their, their, kind of, their attitude, their disposition. So the word came to be translated in this way, to warn, to remind to correct someone. When Paul bid farewell to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verse 31, he said, Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Disciple-making involves not only proclaiming Jesus, but often the admonishing of those who stray. And thus, Paul adds that phrase, with tears. Any time when we have to admonish others or warn others or correct others, it's not an easy thing. I, honestly, I, I don't like to do it myself, you know. Uh, but it's hard. It's like parents. Parents, you guys know when you have to discipline your children, you have to admonish them or, uh, well, we warn them. Well, it's, it's not, it may not come naturally to us. And some, sometimes it may be difficult. Sometimes the person's rebellious. And so there are often tears when it comes to admonishing others who stray. Uh, Romans, 5, Romans 15, 14, uh, Paul there speaks to the Roman church, encouraging them, saying that they are able to admonish one another. For the sake of one another, for the sake of our growth in discipleship in, in the 
growing into the image of Christ, we as a church, as we proclaim Christ, strive to warn and correct one another. We, we need to be willing to do that. We need to be open to that. It's hard to hear it if you're on the receiving end as well. But it's also just as hard to, to tell others. We need to love one another enough. I think, this is, I think becoming a parent has helped me to see this, or I guess I could have seen it in my parents before I became a parent. But it's easier when you're a parent. Is that you realize you have to admonish your kids. You have to warn them. My daughter constantly wants to pull for the electric cord, you know, right in the middle of bath time. Uh, not very safe, right? Thankfully, uh, anyways, there's GFCI. But the fact is, I need to warn her. We need to warn her when she grasps for that electric cord or touch, wants to reach out, that this is no. And, you know, I say, you know, we're a little meaner than that, firmly, gently, you know, warning because it's for her good. Otherwise, she will live a short life. But not only admonishing, and that's what we're involved in disciple-making, but the second action that's involved in disciple-making is teaching. Uh, we'll see this in the next uh, teaching. Paul not only admonishes every man, but he, he also teaches every man. This is simply the common word for teaching, for instructing one to uh, pass on knowledge. Paul sought to teach every man about Christ. You see, in disciple-making, uh, we are teaching not only who Christ is, what Christ did, and also what Christ taught. Where do we gain these things about Christ, these truths about Christ? From his word. That's why we say we, we preach the word of God. We're preaching Christ. Colossians 3.16, a little bit later in this book, Paul's going to write, let the word of Christ, the teachings about the word that is about Christ, or even the words from Christ, richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing. There's our two words again. One another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. See, when Christ's word abides in us, we are equipped to teach and admonish one another within the body of Christ. See, here is the, the substance then of disciple making as we look at these two together. That is the speaking of the word of God to one another, admonishing one another when necessary, teaching one another, and proclaiming Christ. This can happen not just in a large group setting like the church worship service, but it can happen in small groups. It can happen one-to-one. It can happen here in church, of course, but could it happen at work? It could happen in your home. It can happen in your neighborhood. Disciple-making is not limited by any walls, by any amount of people. It's why we realize that even if there were no more large group ministries within this church, within Essa Bible, that the purpose of Essa Bible to make disciples will not be hindered, cannot be hindered. We can continue doing so because we can and we ought to be doing so even on a one-to-one or even smaller group level. You know, even if you think about it, with the exception of corporate worship, which is necessary for the body, we, we desire to gather together. We see the pattern of that in the New Testament. But all other large group ministries of this church, if I dare say, are optional. They're optional. They're not mandated by Scripture that we have Sunday school, that we have fellowship groups, that we have all our midweek ministries. Only corporate worship do we see is the primary emphasis in Scriptures. But, of course, we, just, we as a church and many churches have larger group, smaller group, larger group uh, ministries 
because they are practical ways by which we choose to make disciples. All, those, all our ministries exist to make disciples. And if it's not fulfilling that purpose, then we ought to consider about changing those ministries, correcting those ministries. Well, this leads then to our third observation of Paul's ministry, which we find in the last part of verse 28, and that is the purpose of disciple-making, the purpose of it. The end goal of Paul's ministry of proclaiming, admonishing, and teaching, is verse 28, is so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Here's Paul's purpose for his disciple-making, to present every man, every woman, every child complete in Christ. And so we ask ourselves, what does it mean to be complete in Christ? What is his goal to one day present every man complete in Christ? Complete in Christ simply refers to this. The idea here is that the believer reaches the very purpose for which he or she is saved. To complete is this word teleos. It means reaching the end or the goal. It means that, that as believers we will reach the very end or goal which Christ saved us for. And that end or goal, according to the scriptures, according particularly Romans 8.29, is Christ-likeness. That we, to the end, that he, we would be conformed into the image of Christ. We're predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, according to Romans 8.29. Now, when we were saved, God began a good work in us, right? He began a good work in all of us, Philippians 1.6. That work was to conform us into this image of his very own son, Christ. Of course, this is a not an immediate thing that just automatically happens. We're automatically, we, we're saved and then we become Christ-like. We're not immediately perfect, but we grow in conformity to Christ. It's a lifelong process as we become more and more like his son. But when does this happen? So when will we, Paul present every man complete in Christ? Earlier in verse 22 of this passage, Paul used the same verb present, present uh, there as well, but he used it to describe how Christ reconciled the Colossians to himself in order to, to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. So in one sense, Christ has saved us in order to present to himself that he's gonna, Christ is going to present to himself all the church in holiness and perfection and above reproach. But here in verse 28, Paul and his missionary companions are also seeing themselves as presenting the Colossian believers before Christ. And so there is, essentially, this presentation is twofold. It's, there's a divine and there's a human instrument. God, Christ will do it. He'll present people, the church to himself, but also believe, he uses believers and missionaries or disciple makers like Paul to present believers before Christ. The tense of the verb indicates that Paul's thinking of a future event. It's a future one-time act. In fact, this will take place at the second coming of Christ. It is at that time when believers will be presented before Christ mature and complete. When at that moment our sinful nature will be no more, we will receive glorified bodies free from the curse of sin. And that will, and that will be forever. Paul's purpose is to present believers in perfect Christ-likeness before the Lord at his coming. That's his goal. That's his aim. He wants to present everybody he works with, everybody he teaches, everybody he admonishes, everybody he proclaims Christ to, that they would one day be presented before Christ in perfect Christ-likeness, complete, having reached the end for which they were saved. 
And so with this, we are reminded then of the end goal in disciple-making, the purpose for disciple-making even. We're not looking to make merely uh, just people who profess Christ. We're looking to, to disciple and make those who are people who are Christ-like, to become like Christ. Christ-likeness is the goal. Sanctification, though, is the process. Until the day that we are presented before Christ, each and every one of us has to go through a process of sanctification. I'm going through it. You're going through it. We're becoming, and sometimes it hurts, but it is how we become more like Christ. But how does Christ expect the sanctification to take place? Is it just kind of, you know, if I get saved and then kind of just take, if, and then, uh, take me off and put me, lock me in a room by myself, you know, with no other contact from the world? Does that mean automatically I will grow in sanctification? Well, how does Christ expect the sanctification to take place? As he prayed in John 17, 17, here's the primary means by which we are sanctified. He prayed to God the Father according, with regards to his disciples. He said, ask the Lord, sanctify them, his disciples, in what? In the truth. And what is the truth? Your word is the truth, he said. We are God and Christ intends for his people believers in Christ, to be sanctified through the word of God. That we become more like Christ through the words of Christ, the word about Christ. It's through the proclamation of Christ. It's through admonishing and and teaching one another the word of Christ. That's how we become sanctified. That's how we grow in Christ-likeness. Since this Christ-likeness is the goal, is the aim of disciple-making and the purpose of disciple-making then, there are four implications of this purpose. For us as disciple makers, four implications. So if you're a disciple maker, if you're a Christian, you are, okay? Then here are four implications for you and me. Number one, a disciple maker must speak the truths of Christ. And that's pretty obvious, right? If we're going to help people to grow in Christ-likeness, teach them disciple, and we're going to proclaim Christ, we're going to speak about Christ and admonish, teach and admonish one another about uh, the truths of Christ, then we must speak the truths of Christ. You know, discipling, you know, we... Disciple-making, sometimes we shorten it and just say we're discipling. Discipleship isn't just kind of getting together and having coffee, you know. It's not just getting together in fellowship group and just like playing icebreakers, you know, no matter how fun they are. That's not fellowship. That's not, that's not disciple-making. There's no discipleship going on there. Discipleship takes place when we get together, when it's one believer or even a believer with an unbeliever, when we speak the truths of Christ, when we're sharing the truths of Christ. That doesn't mean we have to present a full lesson, you know, at point one, point two, point three. Sometimes it's just saying, you know, hey, um, you know, I believe that Christ, God is the creator of all heavens and earth. In the conversation, as, uh, as you're talking with somebody about the world, you know, I had uh, somebody, you know, uh, many of you may be aware that, like, the, for instance, the Cosmos a series came back recently. You know, it's a big, it was a big science series, real popular. Uh, but it questions, brings to the question of the existence, the creation of our world. As believers, we can say, well, you know Speaking to an unbeliever and say, you know, did you know, that's cool, but I believe that God created the heavens and the earth. Christ created, in fact. The Bible tells us that. And then you can just kind of go in there and see if that goes anywhere. But number, number one, we need to speak the truths of Christ in our disciple making. That's very important. That should be, uh, it's a very fundamental aspect of what builds up believers in Christ or what builds up the church. Number two, another implication of this is a disciple maker must be growing in Christ-likeness. This, this is important for us too, right? If we're going to be helping others grow in Christ-likeness, you and I, we need to grow in Christ-likeness too. We need to be growing in Christ-likeness as well. 
It, uh, Paul, in, Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1 says, Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. So we need to be following Christ, and we need to imitate Christ so that when, and grow in Christ-likeness so that when we disciple others, they'll not just hear things about Christ from us, but they'll see the truths of Christ in us. And many of us, we understand, I think we understand that. Uh, third implication of this is a disciple-maker must be patient. That if there's... This process of one day we're going to present every man complete in Christ. We're going to present one another to Christ in completeness, in perfection. And the sanctification process takes a lifetime. It means we have to be patient with one another. Sometimes we get impatient. As a pastor, sometimes I get impatient. I'm tempted to get impatient. Say, why is that person or that brother or sister not growing? Why haven't they learned yet? Why are they making that, oh, that same mistake? And then parents, you would tell them, if you're a parent, you would probably say, well, Pastor Henry, you know, that's what you have to do as a parent. You just got to be patient with your children. They're going to eventually, you might have to say the same truth 100,000 times. And then it might sink in, maybe, near the end of their life. But it's through the repetition of truth. It's through patience in teaching and admonishing, proclaiming Christ to them, showing Christ to them. It takes great patience. And, uh, and then, fourthly, a disciple maker must be diligent and devoted. Uh, if this is going to take such a lifetime, then we need to be diligent at it. We need to be devoted to this work. It doesn't just happen automatically. We need to speak the truth, intentionally speak truth. We need to work hard in studying God's word for ourselves we might be, that we might grow. And this, and in fact, Paul alludes to this diligence and the devotion necessary in our fourth point and the final observation of Paul's ministry that we need. That is the power for disciple-making. In verse 29, the power Paul writes in verse 29, For this purpose also, the purpose of presenting every man complete in Christ, he says, I also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. The word labor here means working to the point of exhaustion. Paul devoted himself to the purpose of seeing people come to know Christ, walk with Christ, and mature in Christ. But Paul uses another word here to describe his work as well. And he uses the word striving. This person, but not only does he labor, but he also strives. This word strive means, uh, from, it's a word from which we get our word, English word, agonize, to agonize over something. It's, it's literally of athletes that would engage in a contest, in wrestling contest. They agonize, they struggle, they wrestle with one another. In fact, first that's... Uh, no, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, summarizes Paul's devotion in his ministry. This is where Paul writes, For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you who proclaim to you the gospel of God. See, Paul was devoted to disciple-making. He was diligent in disciple-making, that he labored and he strived at it. As disciple-makers, we need to be also diligent and devoted in disciple-making. We must pursue to fulfill the purpose for which Christ saved us for. But all this laboring and striving cannot be done in our own strength. It must be done according to Christ's energizing power. And Paul recognizes this. 
He knows that he couldn't do nothing apart from God. As he would write in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who th- strengthens me. And so that's why Paul here writes, I, for this purpose also I labor striving according to his power. It's according to Christ's power. Not only is Christ the message that we proclaim, but Christ is the power in which we proclaim Christ. And this power, Paul says, mightily works within me. The power of Christ in Paul. And these Colossians also had Christ, right? He says, Christ in you. So there is saying, just as Christ is in you and in us, Paul, Christ's power mightily works in us too, or is available to us as well. Christ's power mightily works in Paul and mightily works within every believer who labors and strives according to Christ's power. We must do so in dependence upon him. And even this, as we think about it, it's reminiscent of the Great Commission. For Jesus, at the end of his Great Commission, promised the disciples what? He says, lo, I am with you always. The idea is that he would be with them. He would be there to strengthen them, to encourage them, to give them wisdom and know what to say as they make disciples. Disciple-making is accomplished through speaking of the Word of God. And as we see in verse 29 here, in the power of God. Speaking of the Word of God and the power of God. So how do we do this? How do we actually speak the Word of Christ? I'm right now speaking the Word of Christ right now. But how do I do so in the power of God? Number one, and the easiest way to do this is by prayerful dependence. Even as, we prepared, uh, as I prepared to preach the Word this week, I've been praying throughout the process. I pray throughout the process because I know that it's easy for me to misinterpret the passage. It's easy for me to read my own words into it. It's easy to, uh, to insert myself into the text instead of preaching about Christ. And so we're constantly praying Christ, that Christ would work through me in the preaching of the word. As when we pray and depend upon him to present his message, his truths, it is one way through which we might avail ourselves of the power of Christ. And as we do so, speaking the word of God and the power of God, we then can make disciples of Jesus Christ. We can be like Paul, proclaiming Christ, admonishing every man, teaching every man, so we might present every man complete in Christ. And doing so with labor and striving that is according to the power of Christ. As we conclude... The heart and substance of making disciples of Christ is speaking the word of God in the power of God. That's, that's, the, that's our phrase. So how does the church, how does the Bible fulfill her purpose of making disciples? By speaking the word of God in the power of God. Okay, that's gonna be, you'll learn it eventually. It's a little longer phrase, I know. It's by speaking the word of God in the power of God. So we are, our purpose is to make disciples. But what does that look like? It's not the programs of this church. But if you think about it, you look at everything we do here at this church, essentially, whether it's large groups, small groups, one-on-one, it boils down to that we're speaking, primarily speaking the word of God in the power of God. Now, of course, there's many other things that we do beyond speaking. We serve. We do other things as well in this church body. But primarily, disciple-making is through speaking the word of God in the power of God. 
And we see this in the message that Paul proclaimed. He proclaimed Christ. That's who the word of God points to. We see this in the manner of disciple making, that we're constantly warning others and teaching others the truths of Christ. And thirdly, we see it in the purpose of disciple making, how ultimately we're going to present every man complete in Christ. If we're going to present every man complete in Christ, then it requires speaking the truths of Christ, being like Christ in our own walk with the Lord. And fourthly, we see this in the power of disciple making, that we labor and strive ultimately in Christ's strength. So let us, as a church, speak the word of God in the power of God. We can do this just real practically. You know, it's easy to kind of think about this, how we do this in large groups and small groups. But if you think about just one-on-one, you can be disciple-making even one-on-one in your lives. Uh, this is some just application before we uh, close in prayer. Take your home, for instance. Many of us are homes. And, and I, as a young believer, and I, sometimes I think this is probably the, the home is the most difficult place to live Christ. Like, unless you, you know, you, you, you know, started a Christian family, you started as a Christian family, raised. But it, I think especially when I, I'm a new believer and I'm surrounded by unbelievers, it's hard to live out Christ. Um, but it's, it's even, and especially if you, don't, you didn't have that as a, you didn't grow up in a Christian home, you have no kind of idea of what it means, what it looks like to, 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 uh, to have a Christian home. But disciple-making ought to, can take place in our home as well. In our home, even one-to-one with our wives or with our children, uh, we ought to be speaking about the Bible, speaking about the truths of Christ. Uh, you know, feel free. I mean, I, I encourage you to critique the sermon after every Sunday together. You know, I encourage you to do that. You do that, right? I hope you do. And you know, say, hey, that was good. That was bad. You know, oh, I didn't get that. That's okay. Just talk about it. Talk about it with your kids. I don't mind. I don't mind. As long as you're talking about it, that's, that's more important. If you didn't talk about it, that would say a lot more to your kids than, you know, not, than talking about it, talking bad about it. You know, that, guy, that was, illustration was terrible. Anyways, uh, anyway, <clears throat> you get the idea. Speak about the truths of Christ. Speak about, uh, you know, something that uh, many people encouraged us and we're trying to do just with KR, just having a Bible reading and prayer time. And it would be more challenging as she grows older. She can run away from me. Uh, but right now, you know, I force, put her down. Here, Bible reading time now. You know, <laughs> no, no, it's like that. But it's fun time together. We're just kind of introducing the truths of the Christian to us, praying with her, though I don't think she understands what she's doing. Um, um, just, we can do this not just one-on-one in the home, but one-on-one disciple-making can take place in and the body of Christ. Many of you guys get together with other believers in Christ, and you, and you speak truths with them. You say, how are you doing? Uh, get together for breakfast. Get together for lunch. Uh, you talk about the things of Christ, the things that Christ is, God's teaching you, uh, how he's working in your life. And, you know, when type making, we always think, well, how's your, we always end up asking this question, how's your spiritual walk with Christ, right? <laughs> and that's okay. That's a good question to ask. And that's, what we, we, that's a good place to begin. But a lot of times I'll ask people about, well, depending upon where they are in their stage of life, well, how's your relationship with your family? How's your relationship, how's things at work? How's your relationship with, you know, you know uh, your neighbors, for instance? Because our relationship with Christ is going to manifest in our relationship with people around us, and especially the people closest to us. And so you, you want to talk about lives. We don't just ask people about those areas. Your marriage, your marriage relationship is one of the key, in fact, 
So we do that in Macario, one-to-one. And then the community, you know, we're talking about reaching unbelievers. How do you one-to-one disciple-making? Well, that's just witnessing. I think we can do practical things. We can go out and just invite people to church. That's You can go around, you know, we're all doing some things at home. I'm, I'm doing yard work. When I see someone else doing yard work, I say, go out and just have a conversation with them. See how you're doing. But then as you have conver- straight conversations, try to in- in- implement, speak some truth about, oh, man, you know, I'm not trying to do my yard, but it's like, it's really the curse of sin. It's, it's the curse of sin. That's why it's so hard, you know. And they're like, what? What's the curse of sin? You know, you know, oh, you know, the Bible teaches that, the, you know, God, there's a curse upon the world. I was oh, you're one of those religious guys, huh? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, whatever kind of aspect of the world, you can just kind of strike conversation and try to implement, uh, I think, who was it just, even last week in our Sunday school class, um, the whole idea of just like asking, hey, what'd you do this past weekend? You know, asking questions like that, leading into the gospel. Uh, say that you went to church. Say, oh, what do you guys do at church? Well, we, we primarily study about the life, the person, the work of Christ. Have you ever, anybody told you about that before? Have you heard about that before? What do you think? And they say, oh, yeah, I heard it. Oh, oh, yeah, really? Tell me what it is. And then they're like, oh, yeah, Christ, you know. Then they give you some weird answer. Then you can tell them what the Bible says. <laughs> oh, or they give you a good answer. They say, oh, hey, you're not too far from the kingdom of God. You know, something like that. <laughs> but, you know, and it's, it's easier said than done, okay, obviously. Uh, many of you guys have tried to do this. Uh, it takes a lot of prayerful dependence upon the Lord. You can't just think you're going to do it by yourself. All of these things, as we one-on-one, disciple-making, with home, commu- congregation, community, uh, takes prayerful dependence upon Christ. So let's do that. Uh, let's, let's try to do that, more of that even, as in, not just uh, in, as in our small group, large group ministry, though we do that, but let's try to do that one-on-one as well in our lives uh, by the grace of God, all right, that this church might continue to be built up. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for our time together. Thank you for... Uh, Reminding us even of our call as, to make, as making disciples to speak the words, your words in your power. That we do so in dependence upon you. That we tell others about Christ, proclaiming him, admonishing and teaching others so that one day we might present every person that we have a chance to influence perfect, complete in Christ. Lord, we know that you're doing, a, you have started a good work in us. And we know that you will be faithful to complete it in Christ Jesus. Lord, we pray for that day. We pray that one day and soon that Christ will return. And, Lord, we might stand before you. And that that, that moment, Lord, we would give you praise. And we would thank you and praise you for the people whom you brought into our lives, who taught us, who proclaimed Christ to us, who warned us. And, Lord, we would give you praise because you, uh, we trust and we hope that you will have used us to influence others, to also stand there complete in Christ too. Lord, we pray for this church and pray that you continue to guard us. Help us to remember the fundamentals, not to be caught up in uh, just the busyness of always carrying out all the programs and ministries of the church, to remember that we are about making disciples, whether in large or small or individually. Father, and we pray most of all that we would not do so in our own strength, we can't. We'll probably all burn out. The Father, when we do so in your strength, in the strength that Christ gives us, that is already working mightily within us, Lord, we then pray that disciples of Christ might be made. 
to the glory of your name. Thank you, Father, for these promises. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.